as you're turning to Ecclesiastes 5, I want to read a quote uh, to get us thinking on our passage this morning. Listen to this. It's on the screen for you too. Man must have an idol. The amassing of wealth is one of the worst species of idolatry. No idol more debasing than the worship of money. Whatever I engage in, I must push inordinately. Therefore, I should be careful to choose that life which will be the most elevating in its character. To continue much longer, overwhelmed by business cares and with most of my thoughts wholly upon the way to make more money in the shortest time must degrade me beyond hope of permanent recovery. These were the words of a 33-year-old back at the end of the 19th century. Can anyone guess maybe who this man was? By some estimates, the second richest man in world history ever. His name is Andrew Carnegie. He made millions and millions and millions of dollars in the steel industry. It would, it would equate to billions of dollars today. And this is what he says. Th think about this. Did, did you hear what he said? The amassing of wealth is one of the worst species of idolatry. And we, now recently at Redemption Hill, we've talked a lot about idolatry and worship. And, and really what we've seen in Ecclesiastes is that there are all kinds of pursuits. And we know this from observing the world around us and we know it by looking in the mirror. There are all kinds of pursuits that we can pursue in, in, in life under the sun that we believe somehow, some way, relationships, you know, prestige, popularity, status, money, wealth. We think this is going to deliver on something that is just kind of lingering out there that's promised. It's going to deliver satisfaction and purpose and meaning in life. And so Carnegie says, hey, wealth, it, it can be a dangerous, dangerous idol for us. So we're going to think about our money this morning. We're going to think about how money and riches and the pursuit of those, really the pursuit of those, can be idolatry. And I realize that this is kind of one of those topics, you know, you feel like, man, every time you go to a church, they're talking about money. And every, certainly every time you talk, turn on the TV, you know, and this health and wealth gospel, which is no gospel at all, you know, pray this prayer, have this amount of faith, give this amount of money, and God will make you rich, as if God wants everyone. I mean, like, Jesus wasn't rich. Paul wasn't rich. But I know that we can kind of have that mentality. So, well, you know, we don't preach about money all the time at Redemption. We, we, we just preach the Bible, and when the Bible talks about money, we talk about it. That's kind of how it goes. But, but listen, I, I uh, heard a sermon from a pastor in Seattle, Mark, Mark Driscoll. He says this, okay, so just, this may be true for you. Uh, when we get into this issue of money, he says, there is an automatic resistance because for some people, it is their God. And you don't want to mess with their God. So we're going we're gonna to think on this this morning. 
I mean, Jesus must have faced a lot of resistance in his ministry right? because he talks about money a lot in the Gospels. Just read the Gospels. You will not make it very far until you hear Jesus speaking on the issue of money. Why? Because money is a really good reflection of where our heart is before God and before others. And what the, the preacher is going to, the preacher is the main character in the book of Ecclesiastes. What he's going to encourage us with to think about today, he's going to tell us that wealth will never satisfy. Wealth will never satisfy. Remember, he is on this quest to find meaning and purpose and satisfaction in life. And, and he, is, he is on this pursuit. Man, what is, what is going to deliver here? And he's chased it all. He's had it all possessions, fame, position. He was the king. He, he had access to, to anything, you name it, pleasure. And now he's going to focus in on this idea of money, the pursuit of money. And, and he's, he's asking the question, is there anything, is there any gain to life under the sun? Remember in, in chapter one, verse three, he says, what, is it, what does it profit a man to, to, for all the toil at which he toils under the sun? Is there any gain in this life? So this is, this is where he's going. And the, and the message of Ecclesiastes is simply this, okay? Life apart from God. Life apart from God is futile, empty, meaningless, and unsatisfying. And so today, what we're going to hear as we, we ask this question, why are we fooled into believing that money will provide lasting satisfaction? Um, we're going to find that he's going to tell us that wealth will never bring satisfaction. So we should enjoy life as a gift from God. Look at, look at verse, uh, verses 8 through 10 with me. We're going to jump into the passage. And, and the first encouragement that I have for us this morning is, is for us to recognize the emptiness of wealth. Okay? We must recognize the emptiness of wealth. Ch check verses 8 through 10 with me. Here, here we go. If you see in a province the oppression of the poor and the violation of justice and righteousness, do not be amazed at the matter. For the high official is watched by a higher, and there are yet higher ones over them. But this is gain for a land in every way, a king committed to cultivated fields. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This is also vanity." So, so we have here in verse 10, the key verse for the passage. And it's going to set the tone for what follows, not only down through chapter 5, but even into chapter 6. All right? So if you think, you know, we're just, you know, like Redemption Hill, we know we're trying to meet a budget here, and we're trying to get a church that's, you know, self-sustaining and all that, so we're going to preach about money. Hey, listen, we could have actually spent two weeks on this, you know, like chapter 5, chapter 6, but we're going to trek through all the way to 6, 9 this morning. And this verse here in, 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 in verse 10 of chapter 5, it really sets the tone for everything. What does he say? He says, he who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth his income. I want you to think about what you love. What you love is what you set your affections on, right? It's what your heart gravitates to. What you love is what you pursue. If there is an opportunity to gain more of what you love, then you're going to spend time to think about how you can plot and scheme to, to gain more of that which you love. And what we find here is that 
there is a temptation for us to love money. Do you know this? To pursue wealth. Where we get so consumed about how much is in our wallet. How much is in our purse. How much is in our bank account. And this, the pursuit of what's in here, it becomes like a God to us where we start to think about it all the time. We start to arrange our schedule around this. We say no to some really good things, even some God things in our life, so we can chase after this. And it's a danger. Listen, it's a danger at the core of every single one of us. No one is exempt, particularly in this culture in which we live. The richest country in the history of civilization So we need to think about this really well. Ultimate fulfillment, lasting satisfaction, they do not ride on the train of wealth. The person who loves money has this insatiable desire for more and more and more. And think about this, okay? Can you imagine a person who, I mean, they've been working really hard, they've been putting in the time at work, this is you, right? Putting in the time, working really hard. Boss calls you into the office. Man, I'm seeing that. Like I'm seeing how hard you're working, really proud of your effort. You're such an asset to our, our company, our organization. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to write you this. You can fill in the blank here. Have some fun. XG's promotion. 3G's, 5G's, 1G, 10G, whatever. I'm going to give you this promotion because you're really such an ass. I mean, how many people would say, hold on, boss. You know what? I have everything I need. You don't have to, you don't have to give that raise to me. I'm just fine the way I am. I mean, would any of us have the inclination? I mean, would, would that even cross our mind? Look, I'm not saying, I'm not saying the next time, you know, you get a promotion at work to go in and tell your boss, hey, my pastor said, never receive a promotion. That's certainly not what I'm saying, okay? God, we're going to see, God gives wealth. But, 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 but would, that, would that even, are, are we content with what we have? The love of money will not take us where we think it will take us. 1 Timothy 6, 9, and 10. We read it again. I'm going to keep coming back to this passage. What does it say? Those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmless desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. It's not very encouraging. Verse 10, for the love of money, exactly the phrase in Ecclesiastes 5, the love of money is a root, okay? Some people say the love of money is the root of all evil. It's not the root, it's a root. A root of all kinds of evil. And it's through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. So do you crave more and more and more? I mean, are you in school right now so that you can make that six-figure salary and just kind of blow it through the roof? I mean, is that your primary motivation here? Because this is what we're talking about. We're talking about what our heart chases after. I'm not saying it's wrong to have a really good profession that's really valuable and you get paid really well. Hey man, we want Christians to have resources to, to, to not only meet the needs of their family, of course, but to be generous, 
to others. We're going to talk a lot more about that as we move through the message. So, so why, why is wealth an empty pursuit? Well, first, because wealth will not satisfy. Secondly, because wealth can become burdensome. Check out verse 11. What does he say? When goods increase, they increase who eat them. When goods increase, they increase who eat them. And what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? You see, we think that, we have this mentality, man, the more we have, the more comfortable life will be for us. You know, the easier thing ever, everything will be. And what, what the preacher is saying is, look, you know, you may have a lot, but there's a lot that's gonna come with that. You think about maybe some of the, the richest celebrities in our culture. And what happens? The vultures start to swarm around them, right? They want more from them. A little bit here, a little bit there. Proverbs 19 says that wealth brings many new friends, but a poor man is deserted by his friend. And so even if we have a lot of money, and even if it doesn't change us, as someone said, even if wealth doesn't change you, it will change everyone around you. So if you think that, that, that man, having, just being loaded is the way to go, just know that there are some burdens that come with that. And that's what the preacher says. Number two. Number three, wealth can disrupt your life. Check verse 12. Sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. So the wealth accumulated here, it leads to insomnia for, for the rich. And thinking about this, the preacher's good at setting up these contrasts. He's gonna do it again and again by way of comparison. He says, there is a laborer, okay? Think about it, blue collar, hard hat, out working in a field, swinging a hammer every single day by the sweat of his brow, earning enough to pay the bills, and the world tells us, man, that is not going to satisfy you. And the preacher says, look, sweet is the sleep of a laborer. He puts in a hard day's work. He does his job. He earns his wage. And he sleeps really well at night. Contrast that with the rich man who has so much going on, so many burdens, so, so much to, 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 to think about in his life even to the point where he doesn't even sleep well at night. I mean, he can pop, you know, pills to help him sleep, drink NyQuil, anybody do that when you can't sleep? Probably shouldn't recommend that, but you know, we'll knock you out a little bit. Um, he, he, he's gotta have all of these helps in his life just to sleep. And so wealth can disrupt our life. Listen to what John Rockefeller said after he made all of his money. He said, I would give all that I have now if I could experience the contentment and satisfaction in the days I was making $3 a week. Number four, wealth is a fleeting commodity. Check verse 13. He says, there is a grievous evil that I have seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their owner to his hurt. So, so he says, this is a grievous evil. This is, this is sickening, is essentially what he's saying. A man can, can, can gain a lot of wealth, have a ton of assets, 
and yet he can keep them, he can hoard them to his own hurt. But then he goes on and he says, added to that, wealth can be extremely elusive and fleeting. Look at, look at verses 14 and following. He goes on, he says, and those riches, riches that he kept, that he hoarded for himself. You see this picture of someone with this, this fist that is clenched so tightly on his money. He says, and those riches were lost in a bad venture. And he is a father of a son, but he has nothing in his hand. As he came from his mother's womb, he shall go again, naked as he came, and shall take nothing for his toil that he may carry away in his hand. This is also a grievous evil. Just as he came, so shall he go. And what gain is there to him who toils for the wind? So he has used this imagery again and again and again to say, look, all of these pursuits in your life that you think are going to be so satisfying you are ultimately chasing after the wind. You're trying to catch the wind. It's an impossible, futile pursuit. Just as we came, this is what Paul says in 1 Timothy 6. Paul had read Ecclesiastes, I can tell you that. He said, just like you came into the world, that's how you're gonna go. You can, you can make millions and billions of dollars and in the end of the life, your life, you are gonna leave all of those millions and billions. You can't take it with you. It's fleeting. Even if you say, hey, I'm not the guy. I'm not that guy in Ecclesiastes 5 that's going to make bad investments. Well, maybe so. And maybe you have a little savings over here and a savings account there. And you're really wise with your money. Well, there's no guarantee that it's going to last. Even if it's not a bad investment, it could be a better providence. Just something happens in life and, and man, it's, just, it's gone. It's here one minute, gone the next. Are we going to trust in that? Will that be wise? And so, so the preacher says, look, this, is a, this, this wealth is at best a temporal pleasure. At worst, it, it leaves us what is described in verse 17, where he says, moreover, our, all his days are, he eats in darkness, in much vexation and sickness and in anger. So let's, let's now, as we think on how wealth is, is so empty, what we're going to do is we're actually going to skip down to chapter 6. And we're going to look at verses 1 through 9 because th this, this continues th this theme on how, how wealth and, and money is an empty pursuit. He's going to say in verses 1 and 2 that, that wealth will never buy us certain things. It will never buy us happiness. Check verses 1 and 2. He says, There is an evil that I have seen under the sun, and it lies heavy on mankind, a man to whom God gives wealth, possessions, and honor, so that he lacks nothing of all that he desires. Yet God does not give him power to enjoy them, but a stranger enjoys them. This is vanity. It is a grievous evil. So, so, so check what we learn here, okay? What, what does he say in verse two? He says, look, God gives wealth. Think about your life. I mean, we were kind of taught, you know, to, 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 to pick ourselves up by our bootstraps and, and work as hard as we can and become a self-made man, right? To where, you know, we can work so hard to, to earn all of this, this, this wealth and great life for ourselves. Well, well, who gave us the ability 
to do that? Where do those resources come from in the first place, even to be out there for us to receive? The Bible says that God owns everything. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills in the Psalms. I mean, it's all his. And so everything that we have in this life, everything that we have in this life, including our next breath, it comes from the hand of God. That gives us some perspective here. Surely gives us a dose of humility. This is what we're chasing. I mean, we wouldn't have any of it if it weren't not from the hand of God. But then now, that's one thing. Here's another thing. Not only is everything that we have from the hand of God, but even the ability to enjoy what we have is from the hand of God. This is why we say, man, all of life is all of grace. Our salvation is of grace. I mean, everything beyond that. And, and, and you can just even go to common grace. I mean, just our existence in this world. I mean, it is, it is a gracious act of God that we have what we have, that he has blessed us to, to be where we are in life. Rich, poor, somewhere in between. It's a gift from the hand of God. And it doesn't matter what we have Our ability to enjoy that is also a gift from God. It is a gift of his grace. And so if you're not enjoying your life, if you're not enjoying what God has given you, even, you know, that toaster that needs to like, you know, be tossed in the trash and your wardrobe that you don't think is too smooth and, you know, whatever, fill in the blank. I don't know what it is for you that you would like to replace or it's all from God and we are to enjoy it as a gift from him. Ultimately, the, accumul- the, the accumulation of, of possessions is not going to, to buy us happiness and joy. And then finally, wealth will never buy us contentment. He, he goes on in verse three, and, and before we read these verses, I, I agree with one pastor. He said, look, these verses are like getting punched in the stomach. I mean, I know we read Ecclesiastes, I mean, this, this guy's pessimistic. <laughs> like, why, why would anyone want to read this book? And what we've said is he's, he's not pessimistic, he's, he's realistic. And he's trying to give us a real picture of what he's observing in life under the sun. And so check verse three and following. What does he say? He says this, continuing on this theme. If a man fathers a hundred children, and lives many years so that the days of his years are many, but his soul is not satisfied with life's good things, and he has no, also has no burial, I say that a stillborn child is better off than he. For it comes in vanity and goes in darkness, and in darkness its name is covered. Moreover, it has not seen the sun or known anything yet it finds rest rather than he. Even though he should live a thousand years, twice over, yet enjoy no good, do not all go to the one place. I mean, are you starting to kind of grasp the the depth of emotion that he's trying to communicate about this pursuit of possessions and money and wealth? He says, look, you can have Everything in the world. Jesus says, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his soul? So, so, so it doesn't matter how much we have if we can't see it as a gift from God 
and enjoy it as a gift and be satisfied with it, be content with it, then someone, a, a life that was given that never came to full turn and was born into the world is better off than this miserable person who does not see life from God's perspective and enjoy it as a gift from him. Very, very, very strong words for us to ponder this morning. Now let me say as a sidebar here, and this is, this is really, really sensitive. This is strongly, this is a sensitive topic. And, and at Redemption Hill, we, we love people. We care for people. And we know that there are trouble and trials in this life. And so if you know of anyone, perhaps maybe even you, you've experienced this miscarriage in life. I mean, we're here for you. Like we want to walk through that with you. We want to help counsel you through that. So, so, so in no way is, are we making light of that reality. It's just a tool. It's another comparison that he's using to say, hey, wake up. See how drastic this is. And so keep that in mind. We're here to counsel. We're here to encourage people, even in the, even in the most difficult times of life. That's the kind of church we want to be. The point he's making here is this. Look, you will not have contentment in life apart from God. We, we learn contentment from our knowledge of God and who he is. At the same time, I was, I was blessed to learn contentment in a different way. All right, so maybe you can think on this as, as you leave here today and kind of a, as a, kind of a, a picture. Uh, my, my father uh, drove this, in 1989, he bought a van, Okay. It's like this family cruiser, 1989 blue Aerostar van. Anyone ever seen one of those Aerostar van? Raise your hand. A few of us out there. Okay, this was our ride, man. It was just, you know, taking to, to elementary school and then, you know, junior high school, dropping off. You know, this was, a, we called it Old Blue after a while. Old Blue was our van. Through high school all the way to my sophomore year in college, my dad was still driving Old Blue. Like 180,000 plus miles, he drove it until it literally would not drive anymore. And then he actually got another Aerostar van from my grandparents. <laughs> and it was brown. But um, that's, I guess, another story. But, 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 but in that, what did I, I learn I learned something about contentment from my dad, one of my heroes. I say, you know what? You don't, have to, you don't always have to have the nicest things. You don't always have to have the newest things. You don't have to, it doesn't have to be the shiniest, you know, the best, the most expensive. You can just chill out, max it out, and all blue. It's good enough. So, so, so think about where we've been here. What is he, what is he, what is he said? Like this pursuit of wealth, it will leave us unsatisfied, burdened, disrupted, hurt, empty, unhappy, and ultimately unsatisfied and miserable if we are pursuing wealth and money as an end in and of itself. So what's his solution? Well, Let's back up to chapter 5, verses 18 through 20, because here we go again, and he's going to tell us, look, here's, here's, here's the deal. 
This is, this is what we should do in this, in this vain life that we live and all these different pursuits under the sun. Here's what he says. He says, Behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun, the few days of his life that God has given him. For this is his lot. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and to rejoice in all his toil, this is the gift of God. For he will not much remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with the joy of his heart. And so once again, just like it's happened again and again and again, the, 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 the preacher here is short-circuiting all of our pursuits. And he's saying, man, I've been there. I've done that. It will not satisfy. And so if, if wealth will not satisfy us, then, then, then what will? Seeing life as a gift from God. God did not make us for money, to pursue money as an enemy. He made us for himself. This is why I love C.S. Lewis's quote where he says, if we find within ourselves a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. You get that? This is not going to satisfy us, but God satisfies. And so we should, we should work hard. We should eat and drink and, and, and put in a hard day's work. And then we should rest really well at night. Because our life is not wrapped up in all of this other stuff. Our life is defined, wrapped up in who God is. And so we can enjoy it as a gift from him. We can eat and drink and work with a smile on our face, with joy in our heart. Even those weeks where it's like, I am tired of t punching this time clock. I am tired of interacting with this people. I am tired of working for this supervisor here. And maybe what God just wants to say to you this morning is, so what? Enjoy it. I've given you this job. I'll give you the grace to keep enjoying each task and enduring each challenge that comes along. Because this is my deal. And I want to give it to you as a gift. To push toward wrapping up our time, I want to, I want to turn to Luke 12. I think it's a great commentary. If you want to turn to the New Testament, you can go there with me. Luke 12, we'll start in verse 13. And this, and this, is, this is how we begin to find the answer in Jesus here. So, so Luke 12, starting in verse 13, what does Jesus say? He says, Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to, to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbiter arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care. Listen to this. Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. 
And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and all my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? And then Jesus says this, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. So what Jesus says is he says, look, money, well, it's, it's a reality of life. And, and like everything else, we want to steward it. We want to manage it as a gift from God very, very well. There's no reason not to make wise investments, to work really hard, earn a good wage so we can take care of our family, take care of our needs, and then be generous with what God gives. And this, this phrase here, be rich toward God, it goes so far beyond dollars and cents. But I want us to think about it in this context just for a couple minutes to close out. Here are just a few encouragements for how we can be rich toward God. Here we go. Number one, ask God to grant you simplicity and contentment. Do any of us have maybe a few too many shirts and pants in the closet? Anybody? I mean, it's like, is, is, there, is there any one of us who... We, we have a really hard differentiating. We're not so ruthless with, with, with those categories of wants and needs. And so we're tempted to, to want that newer product, that, that bigger, that better, that shinier product. When, when God's saying, look, you can be content with a lot less here. You can pursue a simple life, a, a content life through me. This is what... He's, Paul's saying in 1 Timothy 6, there's great gain in godliness with contentment. A godly life, a heart that's given toward God, resulting in this contentment that God gives. Contentment, by the way, it's a fruit of the Spirit. I know it's not in that list in Galatians 5, but Paul says in things such as these. So just realize that, that contentment is a fruit of the Spirit. God gives us contentment when we find our joy and satisfaction in Him. So let's begin to ask God to, to help us, to give us a manner of life that's more simple than maybe it is today and more contentment than we find in our heart today. Number two, this one's good. Find generosity through Jesus. How will we learn to love to give more than we learn to love to receive? What will, what will change us to become people who want to, or who are thinking about first, man, how can I be a blessing to someone else? And again, remember, this goes well beyond money. This goes to our time, our talents, our, and our treasures. How can we be a selfless person like Christ? How, how can we be those who are first inclined to give when we see those in need, to have compassion, to meet people's needs? You want to know how that happens? It happens through the gospel. It happens through understanding who Jesus is. This is why we say we want to be a church transformed by the gospel. 
Jesus Christ, Paul says in 1 Corinthians, where he's talking about, okay, just go and read this, okay, I don't have time to unpack the whole thing, I'm just gonna tell you that, that, that in Paul's day, the Jews were wanting one thing, and the, and, the, and the Gentiles, the Greeks, they were wanting another thing, the Jews were all about signs from God, and the, and the, and the Gentiles were all about wisdom, and what, what Paul says is that, that man, you know, Jews demand signs, Greeks demand wisdom, but we just preach Christ, because Christ is the wisdom of God. He's the power of God. He's the righteousness of God. You want to be right with Christ? It's all, I mean, with God, it's only happening through Christ. But you know what? We could tack on more and more and more to that. I mean, Paul, once again, is not giving us an exhaustive list. He is, we, we can say, man, Jesus is the generosity of God. How do we know this? It's through the cross, Right? God became man in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was fully, fully God, fully man. He lives a sinless life. He is crucified on a Roman cross in our place. And Paul summarizes this when he's talking about being gener generous to, toward others. In 2 Corinthians 8 9, it's on the bottom of your worship guide this week. He says, um, for, for you know, the love, let me, hit, let me hit that, I don't have it in my notes and I'm about to butcher it and it always makes me mad when I do that so I'm gonna get it right, here we go. Second Corinthians 8, verse nine. For you know the grace, that was the word I was looking for. You know the grace, how could you forget that word? The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, think about this, though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Jesus Christ, the God, man, takes on flesh, dies a cruel death on the cross, so that we, who are very poor in spirit, empty-handed before God, have nothing to offer God, how are you gonna get to heaven? I'm gonna be a good person. And all of a sudden we see we're not, we're not good people. We have nothing in our hand to bring before God. And yet Jesus steps in and he, and he takes our sin upon himself so that now we can receive everything that belongs to him. We can have his righteousness and now have all the riches in the world. And so here's the example. Here is the motivation. This is how the gospel transforms our generosity. We see the generosity of God in the person of Christ who humbled himself and put us before himself and sacrificed, he sacrificed himself so that we might have life. And this is the motivation, this is the impetus for us to say, you know what, I can do without that so that they can have this. I can sacrifice a five here, a 20 here, a hundred here, whatever, fill in the blank so that this person can have their needs met. And I, I wanna just kinda speak candidly here, especially to maybe our younger crowd, but this applies to everyone. I'll, I'll be honest, for far too long in my life, I knew that giving was an act of worship. We, we take up an offering every Sunday as, as just a way to say, hey God, you have been so generous to me. And so I wanna be generous back to you and I want your work and your plans and your will for this city, for this church, for your mission in the world. By the way, we give away a lot of our budget. A lot of our budget goes beyond the work and the operations of our church. 
And we want that to always be the case, and we actually want that to increase as we become more self-sustaining ourselves. But when we give back to God, we're saying, man, God, I, I, want, I want your work to advance. You've given me this. You've blessed me with this. It's a gift from you, and so I want to give back. And for far too long in my life, I was very casual in my giving to God. It wasn't systematic. It wasn't planned. It wasn't analyzed. I was focused on other things, distracted. And so, yeah, I gave occasionally, you know, write a check here, drop in a little cash there. But I wasn't honoring. I, wasn't, I didn't reflect the gospel in the way that I gave. And so perhaps that's you. And perhaps, especially as, as maybe a college student, you say, Tina, I don't even make any money. I'm just a student. Or I'm just out of college, man. I get paid nothing. <laughs> Let me just encourage you to start somewhere. Start, I mean, Jesus commends who? Not the Pharisees who dropped their, you know, big amounts of, of coins and, and where everyone can hear it clinking. He, he commends the widow who has just one mite of all of her possessions and she gives it to the temple so the work of God could be done. And so again, hey, look, this isn't, this isn't a plea just so that everyone would give more money today. It's not, that's not the point at all. Please just hear my heart. I'm sincere. That it's so that God would change us. God would make us generous, not, not just the work that he's doing here, I mean, generous to, to our neighbors, generous to our coworkers, generous to people in need all around us. How do we do that? We find generosity through Jesus. Then the last encouragement, let me just say this, be greedy for God. We're greedy for all types of, you know, possessions and pursuits. and Be, be greedy for God. I love Jesus. The, the, one, of the, one of my favorite parables in the, in the scripture, Matthew 13, 44, what does he say? The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has so that he can buy that field. What Jesus is saying is he's saying, look, the kingdom of God is, is a greater treasure than any other treasure or pursuit that you could, you could have in this life. And so go after that. Go after God. Make God the greatest pursuit of your life. And may it be reflected in everything. Your daily schedule, your interactions through the week, your job, your lunch after today. Be greedy for God. Want more and more and more of God. There's no limit. There's no limit to how much of God we can have. Why? Because he's infinite. I mean, there's, just, he, there's exhaustless treasures in the heart of God. And so let me give you this quote from John Piper. There, there are essentially two types of people in the world. There are people who are either working to get or they are working in order to give. This is what Piper says. The person who thinks the money he makes is meant mainly to increase his comforts on earth is a fool, Jesus says. Wise people know that all their money belongs to God and should be used to show that God, not money, is their treasure their comfort, their joy, and their security. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. And God, we even thank you for Sundays that maybe a little more difficult for us to absorb as those who live in this country 
who have more than we deserve, sometimes more than we know what to do with. Father, I pray that you would redefine our pursuits, redefine our priorities, redefine our identity. Help us to hear the words of Christ that our life does not consist in the abundance of our possessions, but we are to be rich toward you. God, whatever that means for us, you know the heart of each person. I pray that you would even speak to them now. Maybe there's some who, who don't know you as the Lord of their life, as, as the God who, who is everything. And you would just say to them, hey man, I'm the real deal. Get your life right with me. And, and God, for, 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 for those of us who know you, who are walking with you, God, transform this area of our life. Help Help money, help, help the bottom line not be an idol, a little cheap God in our life that we bow down to week after week. But help us to, to align our view of money with your view of money. It's a gift from you. And God, help us to be generous toward others that we might be rich toward you. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.